Good morning, Liberty Lake Church. Have you guys all, those of you here on campus, hello everyone on the internet, uh, come on in and we're going to get started. Yes, because you're the one doing announcements. I'm doing announcements. Yes. Good morning. My name is Shane. And uh, hi. 
It's kind of weird introducing myself, but I'm supposed to do that because that's what the announcement guys are supposed to do. So I know Julie says so. Uh, I am thrilled, actually, to be doing this role today. As you guys know, Sally and I have a big event happening this week. Uh, we're hopefully signing our house, getting the move. And so Gary is covering the pulpit for me today, and I'm very, very grateful for that. And uh, it gives me the opportunity to come up and sing. And I don't get to do that very often, but I'm very thrilled. And uh, I find it ironic that one of the songs we're singing about is Weakness. And because I don't sing that much anymore, I find I am always nervous about squeaking. So if you hear that happen this morning... Just smile and nod, and you sing louder. So that would be awesome. A uh, couple of key announcements. Youth group is canceled tonight. We're, we're really excited about uh, We're actually going to be planning a big event coming up. We'll let you know when the details are together, uh, but we've got some plans that we're putting together for uh, a heck of a party that we're going to throw, and some of you adults are going to want to be there, but I'm really sorry. You won't be. You'll be the wrong age. Second announcement, key thing, uh, Easter this next Sunday, uh, April 4th, uh, we're going to do one service, and our plan is we've got invitation cards in the back, and so be sure to grab one of those, uh, pass them out to friends. We do have overflow space if we get if we actually have that problem. Uh, we've got three, uh, two different locations that we people can go in, and they're cleaned up and looking nice, and, uh, and, and so we, we can have room to expand if we need to. Um, but we figured that uh, we would just do one service this year and, and let God... We'll see what happens with how many people show up, and, and we'll, we'll stuff them in. Uh, and the last key announcement this morning, uh, Ladies Fellowship Night, uh, there's postcards in the back on the back table for that information that you need, and uh, be sure to grab one of those. Uh, use that to invite your friends. Come and have fellowship. And I have no idea what they're doing uh, making, for whatever reason. We're making spring wreaths. Making spring and wreaths. And it says RSVP in the foyer, but I didn't put a list out there. So... Send an email. That would be great. Okay, we do well, need so to know how many people are coming. They need to know if you're coming. Let them know. And that's the announcements today. You can always find more information in our bulletin. Julie does a great job of getting that information into the bulletin uh, and on our webpage. If so if you have any other questions, be and sure. And on the app. And on the app. Thank you. And on the app. Make sure you grab that and, and uh, check out information there. There's other things happening as well. So. Um, man, thanks for being here with us this morning, and it really is a lot of fun in, to get to sing with you in this time. So, You want to stand with us this next one? We're going to start with the ending because it's a little bit different, so we're going to intro that so you can see how it is, and then you can join with us when we get to that point. So,
rushing wind that art so strong Ye clouds that sail in heaven sadness from wherever you've been come broken-hearted let rescue begin come find your mercy oh sinner come near earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal so lay down your
Father, I would pray this morning as we consider what it means to come as you are, as we consider what it means to come and lay down our fears, our hurts, our concerns, the things that are heavy on our hearts this morning. God, that we would also be reminded of the truth of your gospel, that in you, God, we come boldly before the throne and we can stand because of what you have done, because of your glory, because of your righteousness. So as we uh, continue and, and we finish this set with with this song uh, the stand Lord I just pray that you would overwhelm our hearts with the reality of that truth and that we would hear from you this morning through the word and that you would lead us God in your name amen you stood before creation 
eternity in your hands you spoke the earth into motion my soul now to stand you stood before my failures and carried the cross of my shame my sin weighed upon your shoulders my soul now to stand so what could I say this morning to you, that you are worthy of all that we have. You are worthy of all that we are because you are the creator God of the universe. And in your hands, in your universe, in your kingdom, we as your children, uh, we have confidence, we have eternal promise, we have security. And even as we're learning from Jeremiah, it includes some risk and some danger, but you promise to take care of your children for eternity. And so we trust you this morning. We lean on you. And we ask that you would lead and guide in your word today, in your name. Amen. Kids for Kids Rock, you guys are dismissed. Uh, you can follow Elise out. She's heading out the door right now. And uh, feel free, parents, if you guys want to go, if you if you want to go with them and, and see where they're going, you can do that. Um, and then uh, have a good time, guys. All right. Am I on?
you hear me? Okay. Let me get rid of, get this picked up because sure as shooting, I'll either step on it, ruin it, or trip on it and fall on my face. All right. Good morning. All right, let's, uh, we're going to be looking at Jeremiah some more today, but before we get started, I, uh, I always like to start with um, the words of David in Psalm 19. He said, he was praying to God, said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Okay, so we are continuing this morning with uh, our introduction to the book of Jeremiah. Turned into a three-week introduction. And we were looking at it the other day. There are 52 chapters, I think, in Jeremiah. So at the rate of three weeks per chapter, yeah, we'll see you in 2024. We're going to have to start moving a little faster, or it's going to be a long, uh, long prophetic story. Um, so Shane has been looking at uh, Jeremiah, Jeremiah's call to ministry over the last couple of weeks, and I want to do a quick review of that. Um, look at again at, at verses one through ten, just just to set the stage. The words of Jeremiah the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathon in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. The call of Jeremiah, now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Oh, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Now, Shane has already talked some about uh, Jeremiah's reluctance to do what God wanted. Um, he tried to convince God that he wasn't the man for the job because he was too young and no one would listen to a youth. Um, the Lord didn't take no for an answer. And he let Jeremiah know pretty, um, pretty emphatically that he was to do as he was told. It's not that Jeremiah's, uh, it wasn't that he was wrong, he was right. He, he was young, he really was a youth. But God says, it's irrelevant. You can do what I want you to do. It doesn't matter. God can use anyone regardless of his prior job experience or lack of professional experience or lack of years of wisdom. Jeremiah was called during the reign of Josiah, who was one of Judah's better kings. Um, Josiah was only eight years old when he took the throne. 
And Jeremiah was called in the 13th year of his reign. So that made just Josiah about 21 years old when Jeremiah got started, when this call came to him. Now scholars think that Jeremiah was somewhere between 17 and 20 when he was called. And I read where some even think maybe as young as 12. So Jeremiah and Josiah sort of grew up in ministry together. They were both young, and they were not that far apart in age. Um, and it was at a time when uh, God had just kind of been fed up. You've know, got to remember, God's chosen people, the, the Hebrew people that he brought out of Egypt, had been rebelling against him for a long time, for generations. So when they came to, uh, out, of, out of Egypt, they came to the, the Jordan River, they crossed over. God put, uh, he sent, he, he brought Moses home, Moses died. He put Joshua in charge, and he helped them take the land from the Canaanites. And for that period of time when Joshua was alive, they followed God pretty closely. They had a, um, well, they had a leader in Joshua that kept them on track. The Bible says that after Joshua died, they lost sight of that, and every man began to do as he saw fit. Well, we know from the human heart that if every man does what he sees fit, you're not in a real good place. And um, that is just exactly what happened. Um, now, at the time of Jeremiah, um, most of the kings that had been established after the judges, most of them led the, the people into really bad stuff. And when you read through Chronicles and Kings, um, you see repeatedly that um, this king or that king did evil just as his fathers before him and led the people in that. There were a few good kings in there, like Josiah, but they were pretty far and few and far between. And by the time that we're, uh, we're at right now with Jeremiah and Josiah in the picture, um, the people of northern Israel were already gone. God had already brought judgment against the northern kingdom. Uh, had the Assyrians came down and, and took them into uh, to captivity. They were deported out into uh, Assyria, and they sort of disappeared from history. There's really That's why they, they talk about the lost tribes of Israel. Those are the people that were deported to Assyria and just sort of fell off of the, um, the scope. So when Josiah's... Uh, Okay, I'm sorry, we're reading here. So, um, in Josiah, well, that's a fault with my notes, sorry. <laughs> in his 18th year of being king, it says that the priest Hilkiah found the book of the law in the temple. Now, if you go back to Jeremiah chapter 1, the very first verse says, the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah. So it was Jeremiah's dad working as a priest, that went into the temple and found the, law, the book of the law that uh, had been ignored by the people for so many years. And uh, when he, he took that to Josiah and said, look what I found. And they read it, and it scared the daylights out of them. They responded very well to that. They said, oh my gosh, look what we've been doing. 
it's no wonder things are going badly. Look, look what, you know, God laid all this stuff out. We have not been doing this. And so Josiah started reforms based on what was read there in that book. It was a time of national revival for Judah. I mean, there a lot of good things started happening, but it only lasted until Josiah was killed in battle against Egypt when he was 39. His son Jehoahaz was the first one to succeed him, but the uh, Pharaoh, who was, of course, by, uh, it was Egypt that, that defeated Josiah, so Pharaoh was in charge, and uh, he removed Jehoahaz and put in Je- Jehoiakim instead. Um, and that's where, where he started reigning. Um, so if we, we read about that in, in um, Second Kings. It says, Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamatal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And he did, not, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. There's that phrase again, repeated in uh, Kings and Chronicles. According to all that his fathers had done. And Pharaoh Necho put him in bonds at Riblah in the land of Hamath, that he might not reign in Jerusalem and laid on the land a tribute of a hundred talents of silver and a talent of gold. And Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, the son of Josiah, king in the place of Josiah his father, and changed his name to Jehoiakim. But he took Jehoahaz away, and he came to Egypt and died there. And Jehoiakim gave the silver and the gold to Pharaoh, but he taxed the land to give the money according to the command of Pharaoh. He exacted the silver and the gold of the people of the land, from everyone according to his assessment, to give it to Pharaoh Necho. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebedah, the daughter of Padeah of Rumah. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. Isn't it amazing how many times, when you read through a good king, his sons don't follow in his footsteps. I, I'm pretty sure that Josiah would have raised his sons to honor God, but his sons just went the other way as soon as they got a chance to do the ruling. So it sort of sets the stage for what's going on um, when God's word comes to Jeremiah and God shows him what the future of Judah and his own future looks like. So we're now finally getting to today's scripture. Um, continuing in chapter 1 at verse 11. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come, and every one shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against all its walls around, against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshiped the works of their own hands. But you, dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything that I command you. 
Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. So the first thing God does is he shows Jeremiah a vision. And then he asks Jeremiah to tell him what he sees. When Jeremiah says that he sees an almond branch, God says, yeah, you're seeing, you're seeing correctly. And he says, you've, you've done well. He says, you have seen well. This seems to be, it seems to be kind of a, a testing and a, a training session maybe for Jeremiah. God wants Jeremiah to be able to correctly see and hear what God is saying. Jeremiah is a youth. He hasn't done this before. Now, God knows. God knows exactly what Jeremiah is capable of, but he has to get Jeremiah convinced of what he's capable of. And he has to let him figure out that he is able to see what God places in front of him and to interpret it correctly. And so he tells him, you've seen correctly, that I, I am watching over my word to perform it. Charles Spurgeon, uh, one of the, the things that I read, that it quoted him as saying, before you can make an impression upon another man's heart, another person's heart, you must have an impression made upon your own soul. You must be able to say concerning the truth, I see it before you can speak it so that your hearers also shall see it. So before Jeremiah could preach the word of God to um, the king and the people around him, God had to make sure he understood that he had it right, that he had the, the right vision from God, knew what God wanted him to say. Um, we saw in the, the previous reading. He said, I put my words in your mouth. Well, now he has to convince Jeremiah that those words are really there. The significance of the almond branch was, uh, was kind of interesting. So there's a, a play on words here that is lost in the translation to English. Um, you, you guys remember, you've seen the movie Shrek? Pretty funny movie. There's a scene in there where uh, Shrek and the donkey are running into the castle and they're rescuing the princess. And Shrek, being the gallant guy he is, throws her over his shoulder and starts heading out of the castle. All this stuff's going on around him. And a donkey is off fighting a dragon in another spot. And he takes off away from the door and the princess says, where are you going? And he says, well, I have to save my ass. You know, in English, that's funny, right? So we had a, a foreign exchange student for a while from Mexico, and uh, Anibal was his name, and when he first came to us, he had the basis of English, but he didn't have all the nuances. And we're watching this movie, and I had put on for him, um, it was on a, a, a DVD that we had, and you could put on subtitles in Spanish. So I, I had that on, and we're going along, and that scene came up, and I'm reading along into the subtitles, and the subtitles said, I have to go save my burrow. 
this, okay. But there's no humor there, right? And so we had to stop, and I spent, I don't know, spent a few minutes trying to explain to Anibal how this worked when you, when you knew about it. And then, then he got it. He said, oh, that's pretty funny. Um, and, there, you know, there were other things dealing with him and his language issues. One day he asked me, he said, Dad, because he, he called me Dad if you've been with us for a while. He said, how come in English I have to pick something up, but I have to put it down? I have no idea. That's just the way it is. You know, so, so sometimes language is, is just sort of an interesting thing. So in e- Hebrew, there's a play on words here that's lost in the translation in English. The Hebrew word for almond is shakhed, S-H-A-Q, and it sounds like the word for watching or hastening, which is shoked in Hebrew. And so the, the whole thing here is that God is watching over his word to make sure what has been said will happen. So God has, has told the people repeatedly, you know, the, the conditions that they're supposed to live under, and he's telling Jeremiah, yeah, I'm, I'm watching. I, I know what has been said, and uh, I'm going to be looking at it. And the other thing about the almond tree is that it's known uh, by the Hebrew people, it was known as the first tree that would blossom in the spring and bear fruit. And so the early blossoming almond tree um, gave promise that God wasn't going to be waiting a long time. He's, you know, it's kind of time. He'd be watching over his word. So it's, it's important, I think, too, to know what word are we talking about that God is, you know, why, what's he holding them to? Well, we talked about when they came out of uh, the desert and crossed the, the Jordan and they took over the land of, of Canaan, which is where they're at at this point. That's many generations later, but it's the land that, that God brought them to out of Egypt. And in Deuteronomy chapter 30, this is the, the short version um, this goes on for quite a while as far as the covenant. But the, this is what is called the Mosaic Covenant. Alan talked about this um, not, not too many weeks ago. Talked about covenants and gave us a pretty good basis of, of that stuff. God, it, it, it wasn't like a contract where the people had to agree. It was a covenant laid down by God where he said, this is how it will be. So in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15, that see, I have set before you, this is God speaking through Moses. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, 
and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell on the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. So God is reminding Jeremiah that he will do what he has said. And the early blooming of the almond is an indication that it's coming sooner than later. And Jeremiah would see it happen in his lifetime. And in the grand scheme of things, and when you look at prophecies and declarations from God, if something happens in your lifetime, it's actually it's coming pretty quick. There were a lot of promises that God made to people that they didn't live to see. Their, their descendants, their children saw them. Then Jeremiah gives the, uh, God gives Jeremiah a second vision. The word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come, and everyone shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against all its walls, all around, and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for, in their, for all their evil and forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshiped the works of their own hands. The boiling pot that Jeremiah sees, he says, is facing away from the north. Well, that means it's facing toward the south, right? So they're seeing this, this boiling pot sitting north of Jerusalem facing toward them. And it, uh, let's see, is the picture, next, next frame? Yeah. So that's a little hard to see, but... On the right side of the slide um, is where Babylon is, and Jerusalem is almost due west from there. And, but it says they're coming out of the north, right? Well, if you look at that yellow arrow, and that arrow is actually showing the route that they took after the fall of Jerusalem to take the captives back to Babylon, but I'm sure it's the same route in reverse that they used to... Uh, um, to attack, the, the, the land in between those two towns is, is the Arabian desert. It is just barren, desolate, nothing there. And when you have a huge army of people to try to move across there, even with today's logistics and tanker trucks full of water, and it would be almost impossible to do. So um, again, it's a little hard to see in that picture, but Along the upper edge of that arrow is the Euphrates River. And so what they did was they followed the water. They followed the Euphrates River and the, the green um, land around it to come around the desert. And then by the time they got down to attack Judah and the city of Jerusalem, they were coming from the north, just like God said they would. So the fact that this pot is boiling means that it's sitting on a fire. And as the wood of the fire burns down, it's likely that it's going to keep leaning more and more. And it's going to tip until it spills over and, and, and brings disaster on Judah from the north. God also tells Jeremiah that there will be more than one kingdom coming against Jerusalem and that all their thrones will be set up at the gates. where The, the gates of the town in normal times, not at war, that's where all the, uh, the civil business, the government, took place. If you had a case to be judged by uh, whoever was in charge, that's where it would be done. 
And so by setting their throne up at the gates of the city, the symbol, their, their, the symbolism to me is that government of Judah, of Jerusalem, will be overthrown. And the invaders will be setting up and conducting government business at the gates where um, the king would have, have sent his people to do things before. And then after he tells the, um, Jeremiah the disaster that's coming, he also mentions the reason. He tells him why this is going to happen. Judah, um, led at that time by King Jehoiakim, um, they've forsook God. They have been worshiping the works of their own hands, he says. Well, that means idols. They're worshiping other gods that aren't really even gods, and they've been called to task for this repeatedly through the generations. Um, in fact, in, in, Isaiah, in Isaiah, rather, I found a couple of spots that I, I thought were interesting where um, Isaiah, speaking again for God, he mocks them. He, he just ridicules the people for what they're doing. In Isaiah 46, he says, To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? And again, this is God speaking. Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales hire a goldsmith, and he makes it into a god. Then they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders. They carry it. They set it in its place, and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. So he's saying, you guys, you take this metal, this, this mineral from the earth, you make it into an image, and then you worship it. What's going on with that? And then in chapter 44, Isaiah also talks about the, the folly of idolatry. He says, all who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may, not be, that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble. Let them stand forth. They shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame together. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with the hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry, and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man, with the beauty of a man, to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars, or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also he warms himself and says, Aha, I'm warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my god. They know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see and their hearts so that they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten. 
And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray. And he cannot deliver himself or say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? So God is, God is trying to get them to understand, really? You take a log, you cut it in half. Half of it you use for firewood, and the other half becomes something you worship? Just, you know, wh where's the sense in that? The takeaway message here is God has had enough. He's going to punish his people for their disobedience. There's no more time for second chances. Um, so this, th this call of Jeremiah is not a call. It's not another call for repentance. It's Rather, it's God the Father giving notice to his disobedient children. That they're going to be punished. It's not that, you know, stop doing that or this will happen. It's like, oh, okay, you didn't stop. This is going to happen. Um, spoiler alert, later in the book of Jeremiah, we will see a new covenant and assurance of uh, future forgiveness, but that's for later. You've got to stay tuned. We'll let you, we'll Shane deal with that probably in 2023 or something. Like that. <laughs> Next comes instruction from God to Jeremiah. He says, But you dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold... I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. Wow. Is there any wonder that Jeremiah was a reluctant prophet? Uh, being a prophet was not a good job from a human standpoint. Um, God is telling Jeremiah that he's going to give a message that will not be received well. God assures him that he'll protect him, but he also tells Jeremiah that his opponents will be the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and all its people. Is there anybody left? So the whole land is going to be against him. And uh, a little later on, we'll see uh, in chapter 20, find out Jeremiah was not always very happy with the job, but he couldn't stop doing what God told him to do. Uh, in chapter 27, Jeremiah says, Oh Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and a derision all day long. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart as it were a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. For I hear many whispering, terror is on every side. Denounce him, let us denounce him, say all my close friends watching for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived, then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior, therefore my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. So Jeremiah couldn't get away from this if he wanted to. He tried to make the decision as he said, I don't like this. 
I'm not going to do this anymore. And he says, uh, There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. So he was going to speak, whether he wanted to or not. Jeremiah was told by God that those who would fight against him, which was pretty much everyone, would not prevail. Um, But he was not given any assurance that the job would be easy. In fact, um, another spoiler, he's told in chapter 16 that he should not get married because conditions will become so bad in the land that Judah will be no place to establish a family. God said that people would die of deadly diseases, sword, and famine, and their dead bodies would be food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. Not exactly a rousing pep talk. You imagine Coach Few in the Gonzaga locker room talking about, yeah, go get them, guys. So did you ever feel, this is just a, a little bit, you ever feel like God was telling you something you didn't really want to do or try to get out of it? How that, had that go for you? <laughs> Jeremiah couldn't prevent himself from proclaiming God's word. So I know, you know, a lot of you have heard me talk about being sent to Browning as a, as a uh, pharmacist with the Indian Health Service. And uh, this, this brought me back to that again. It was, uh, you know, I've t- t- told you about going and checking it out and, and coming back and deciding not to go. And then God kind of said, no, you're going. But um, just a little bit of detail, because I, I just wanted to, when I made that trip to Browning to decide, check the place out and everything, um, I, I was kind of reminded as I read Jeremiah when, when God starts telling him all the things that he's going to come up against. So I get to Browning, and I'm, I'm there, and first off, everybody in the hospital pharmacy, they were very discouraged. The morale was horrible. People were quitting all the time. In fact, two of the pharmacists that were there, it was a father and son that worked, or father and daughter that worked together. Uh, they told me, well, by the time you get here, we'll be gone. We're not going to work here anymore. They were already short-staffed, a lot of work to do. Um, there was a horrible drug economy going on. Uh, there were literally, I couldn't believe this was allowed to happen, I still can't, but they literally had a situation where people on chronic pain medications, and there were too many of them, the doctors said, I'll tell you about that in a sec, but as people came out of the hospital, the drug dealers knew which ones were on the potent stuff, the narcotics, they, I, you could see people go straight from the sidewalk to the window of a car and sell their drugs right there. It was one of the biggest money-making things driving the economy in the town at the time. Now you had physicians that were, well, they were just beaten down. They were so tired of dealing with it. It was just easier to say yes and write the prescription than it was to, to deal with the, the fallout. Um, there was, and still is, alcoholism, domestic abuse going on, teen pregnancy. Um, and culturally, it was seen as a, uh, an okay thing. It was actually uh, an, a, a thing to be congratulated on. One of the big reasons that we 
ultimately decided when uh, my family came down from Alaska that we weren't going to actually live in Browning. My girls were just getting ready to start high school. And that was not the kind of peer pressure that we wanted them to be exposed to all the time because that was the norm in that area. So uh, that was, you know, you just add all that stuff up. And then also just, just Browning's not a real inv inviting place unless maybe you grew up on a wheat ranch or something. You know, if you like, if you're used to seeing trees and mountains, other than in the distance, there was a magnificent view way off in the distance. But um, it just, you know, it just didn't appeal as a place we wanted to go. And then you saw all these other things going on, and that's why we went back and we just said, no, I'm not, not going to go. And as, as I've told you before, God kind of came back. You know, like he told Jeremiah, he said, for all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. And when I got back to Ketchikan, I sort of got that message from him because things just fell apart, and so we went. And as we were there um, for a while, it was really kind of, uh, kind of cool to see what God did. I got more and better employees. Um, I got a lot of support from the, uh, um, the hospital administration because they saw what we were starting to deal with some problems. Um, one of the things that happened that at the time I certainly did not see as a blessing was that the DEA came in. Somebody had called the DEA and said, hey, you know what's going on here? And it was actually, that call had probably been made before I got there. It took them a while to get there. But one of the things I found out is that the DEA is not your friend. They are law enforcement agency, and um, they were not there for anything other than that. But in the long run, having the DEA come in and put everything under a microphone, microscope made... Um, made my job easier because it gave us leverage to be able to go to physicians and say, this has to stop. In fact, we had uh, a meeting that I had to attend where a, a DEA agent was talking to us and our chief medical director was part of the group. And he told us flat out, he said, my job, I've been directed by Congress to make to, to show them how we're reducing the amount of illegal drugs on the street in Indian country. He said, I can show them by one of two ways. I can show them that there are actually less drugs on the street, or I can show them how many physicians that I've thrown in jail because they're writing illegal prescriptions. Well, the medical director's eyes got about this big, and uh, she went back, and the word got out to the rest of the physicians, and you know, lo and behold, we didn't have so much trouble getting physicians to toe the line after that. And uh, it so God working in the background made all the things happen that he wanted to happen there at the time. It was not an easy job, and it was way, way definitely more than I could have ever accomplished on my own. But God was working there, and it, it was um, a long, long process, but, but a lot of good things happened. And I think that God's message to Jeremiah was really meant for all of his people, and it's meant for us today. He has a job for us to do. It may not be easy. In fact, it probably won't be. It may not be pleasant. It probably won't be. 
but he'll be with us and he'll give us what we need to accomplish his purpose. And we can do that, we'll do that through his strength, not our own. Look again at verses 18 and 19. And I behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the king of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. So there's that assurance that, yeah, it's not going to be easy, but you're not in this by yourself. And then he also tells Jeremiah to get dressed for work. And uh, that made me think about, uh, about Ephesians 6, the armor of God. We look at that at Ephesians 6, chapter, 10, uh, chapter 6, verse 10. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the, in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Well, that sounds like today, doesn't it? Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints." You notice in that passage that nearly all of the armor that God gives us is for our protection, for defending us against the opposition. We have a breastplate of righteousness. There's a whole no, there's a whole another sermon in this just in here, but we have a breastplate of righteousness. It's not ours. It's righteousness that comes from Jesus, a shield of faith, a helmet of salvation, and shoes to help us move around. Those pieces of God's armor are to keep us safe and to remind us that God is with us as he was with Jeremiah. The one offensive weapon, the weapon that we can use to attack the forces opposing us, is the sword of the Spirit, which Paul tells us is the Word of God. And that's the weapon that was used by Jeremiah and all the prophets before him. How many, how many sections of those scriptures start out, the word of the Lord came to me, or thus says the Lord. The word of God is powerful, and uh, it is the weapon that we have to fight that, uh, the opposing forces. There's a lot of things going on in our culture today that we can only describe as evil, directly opposed to God's word. Galatians 4 tells us we are adopted children of God. We're called on to proclaim the gospel to, a, to people so they might find salvation in the new covenant that God made with us. That's the new covenant through Christ, through his blood. And we're supposed to fight against the evil that surrounds us. Jeremiah's message is that everyone will be judged according to the degree of their faithfulness to God's word. 
Each person will either bear the fruit of God's righteousness as a result of obedience to His Word or judgment for disobedience. Not a, not a popular message. It's not any more popular today than it was in 600 B.C. when Jeremiah first preached it. But it's every bit as true today as it was back then. Lord, we pray to you that uh, you would use us as your weapon against evil in today's times. We thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that you give us. And uh, thank you for the message of Jeremiah. Uh, it's just it's amazing, Lord, how we can we can open up your word and we can read about things that happened twenty six hundred years ago, and they pertain so much to today, and it still applies today. Your word is timeless, Lord. We thank you for um, your spirit, for your truth, and we uh, we ask for your protection, Lord. We ask for you to be with us as we go forward, and we ask you, Lord, to help us as we um, attempt to be your, your people and your light in this dark world around us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to uh, close with a song. This is actually a song that we did at, at uh, high school camp, and it was during a time where we were challenging kids to be disciples and to follow the Lord. Um, and they just really attached themselves, and it kind of fits today. It's called Fearless, um, not because of any of our strength, but because of God's strength. So. ahead may be unknown as I brave the unseen road. God, go with me. Every hidden sacrifice through the watches of the night. God, go with me. Through it all I know. I am not alone. I am sets my heart what you've done and who you are God you're for me every hard and heavy step I will see your faithfulness God you are for me for me I am fearless in your presence you're all around is great 
No fear in the midnight hour. You've given me the spirit of power. No fear in the crashing waves. No fear when the cost is great. No fear in the midnight hour. Given me the spirit of Father, that is uh, true, not because of us. And God, the reality is, is that um, we choose fear often, um, but we don't have to uh, because of who you are and what you've done. Thank you for this time this morning. God, I pray that as we consider what it means to follow you, even when we're fearful or when the job is tough, uh, when we're insecure and and, uh, lack confidence because of who we are, Lord, that we would turn our eyes to you. And we would worship you and we would follow you in obedience. May you be glorified in the worship of your church this week as we worship you every day in your name. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.